RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 354 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded live on Tuesday, February 13th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 16th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we trek out what crayfish and Star Trek have in common, and what TNG might have been. We recap this week's news from Star Trek Online, then we look at what's on screen with the season finale for Star Trek Discovery, The War Without, The War Within. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. On Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, that's it. We hit our monthly financial goals to keep the lights on and to continue to produce this weekly content that you have come to enjoy here on Priority One Podcast. And we are so very grateful for the new patrons that have joined us on Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. For those of you that might still be thinking about contributing, we have awesome content that we provide our patrons from week to week, including longer analyses of Star Trek Discovery or early access to interviews with our special guests like Cryptic Devs. Again, for more information, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now, Captains, we understand that a financial contribution may not be possible, but there are other ways that you can help support the show. For instance, sharing it with your friends on Facebook or Twitter, or leaving us a comment and review on places like iTunes. That type of support is just as important, and we're so very grateful for your ongoing contributions. Because without you, none of this would be possible. Captains, have you ever thought about working with Priority One? Now's your chance. It takes a lot of time and work to compile and edit the show each week, and our dedicated team is stretched a wee bit thin. If you've got experience with audio editing and can spare an hour or two a week, we can sure use your help. If you're interested, we've got a handy form on our website, or just email us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. So it turns out Tribbles are real. Well, sort of. Scientists have found a relatively new breed of crayfish, believed to be a mutation of a slough crayfish, that clones itself hundreds at a time. 
Much like our beloved tribbles, the marbled crayfish, or Procamborus virginalis, surprise their hobbyist owners by reproducing at an incredible rate. From the New York Times article, quote, People would start out with a single animal, and a year later they would have a couple hundred, said Dr. Lyko, end quote. The article would go on to say, quote, It turned out that the marbled crayfish didn't need to be pampered to thrive. They established growing populations in the wild, sometimes walking hundreds of yards to reach new lakes and streams. Feral populations started turning up in the Czech Republic, Hungary, Croatia, and Ukraine in Europe, and later in Japan and Madagascar, end quote. The article contains some very interesting science, so check out the links in the show notes for more information. Have you ever lamented if there was only a Star Trek audiovisual and technical signal loss catalog? No? Really? Well... You may not have known you wanted it, but now you've got it. Star Trek enthusiast and blogger Ashley Bluer has painstakingly combed countless hours of Star Trek to bring us an impressive collection of in-universe audiovisual glitches, hiccups, static, and more. The reason for the assembly, in Bluer's own words, is, quote, Eventually, with enough research, I hope to be able to come to some conclusions and overviews beyond what's already obvious. For example, original Star Trek is going to use film-esque errors because film was the familiar medium at the time. End quote. The site's easy to navigate, looks great, and is worth a glance. Links can be found in the show notes. This kind of stuff is what I love about Star Trek fans. This is somebody who has just found something in-universe that has tickled their fancy and is like, you know what, I'm going to find out absolutely everything there is to know about that and turn it into a science. Now, to be fair, I've not heard of this particular thing happening before. However, you know, we have things like the, the Starfleet Technical Manual, and we have things like all the rules on how they should put nacelles on starships. I know they break them all the time, but that, this is the start of that. I mean, the things that we take for granted as fans, as Bibles of, you know, bits and pieces of Star Trek lore, that's basically what it started out as. Pretty much Larry Nemechek coming in and, right. and putting together lots of super nerdy, detailed stuff about this and making it fit in-universe. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fantastic. I think it's amazing that they wanted to do this and that they're they're working on it and putting it together. Ashley, if you're listening to the show, you should host a panel at a Star Trek convention or any convention about this. Start with your local ones. I would actually go to that. Captain Picard is a great many things. Scientist, diplomat, explorer, leader. But apparently he isn't an engineer. At least Sir Patrick Stewart isn't. The former Star Trek star was the Master of Ceremonies at the Academy's annual scientific and technical awards this week, entertaining attendance with, among other things, a retelling of the history of animation and a recitation of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. But what we, the Star Trek fans, want to know is, what was the resolution difference between his Enterprise and Kirk's? In Sir Patrick Stewart's own words, quote, My dinner was largely spent being questioned about the differences in resolution between Galaxy Class view screens and Constitution Class view screens. Well, I simply answered, politely, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. (laughs) In fact, the truth is, I wouldn't know the difference between a warp core breach and the space-time continuum if they got into bed with me. (laughs) End quote. That's a hell of a weekend in Vegas. An edited version of the presentation will be aired during the Oscars March 4th on ABC. However, a video of his opening and a link to the Variety article in which the quote was referenced 
can be found, as always, in the show notes for this episode. You know, it's so difficult because you, you always forget that these actors, especially somebody as um, accomplished as Sir Patrick Stewart, he's an actor. Now, dude knows acting, right? You know, proper acting is a, is a very technical skill, but he's not a scientist. <laughs> right. And it's so easy to forget. Like, of course, they didn't even they didn't even see the view screen. <laughs> The view screen was a, a hole in the wall. Yeah, So you know, and that's funny. <laughs> well, in case you missed it, the Discovery finale has landed, and so has the media blitz. Executive producer Alex Kurtzman sat down with Entertainment Weekly to discuss the past, present, and future of Star Trek Discovery. Be warned: possible spoilers incoming. Kurtzman made a coy reference to the possible return of fan favorites Michelle Yeoh and Jason Isaacs. He drew attention to Tilly's mycelial network shoulder landing, confirmed Shazad Latif's return in season two as Ash Tyler, and the importance of an almost all-female resolution to season one, in light of the hashtag MeToo and Time's Up movements. In regards to serialized storytelling and its future in Discovery, Kurtzman said, quote, so it will be serialized, yes, always, but we do love the idea of getting to do individual episodes in the context of a serialized storyline, end quote. There's a lot to sort through, so we suggest you head over to EW.com and trek it out. Keep those spoiler screens up because our next story comes from the Star Trek Discovery finale. During the final credits of Star Trek Discovery's finale, we were treated to the classic sound of Alexander Courage's original Star Trek score. It was a beautiful rendition, updated, of course, but with the care of restoration, not a renovation. The story behind the inclusion of this beloved Trekture <laughs> is told on Variety.com. According to the article, the updated theme was originally recorded on composer Jeff Russo's cell phone and forwarded to executive producer Alex Kurtzman, and the idea to use it in the finale took off. Russo told Variety, quote, It just seemed like the right thing to do. It is the Enterprise, so I must play the Enterprise's theme. End quote. It's funny because I read through this article and um, it is actually pretty impressive. They didn't obviously use the original recording of the original theme. They actually re-recorded it with a 74-piece orchestra or something like that. Um, so they've, they've really done it good justice. I'm sure we're going to talk about it later and on screen, but it, it was quite a moving moment when the music changed in the finale. I will just, I will say that. So while we're on the discussion of Discovery, Kenna, you attended uh, your own little event this last weekend for the finale. I did. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So for the latter part of the season, not the whole season, but most of the season, a bunch of Star Trek people here in LA have been getting together for screenings of Star Trek Discovery. It's sort of, it was sponsored by Mission Log and Portal 47, and it was held at a place called the Impro Studio Theater in Los Feliz. That's the home of the Improvised Generation, which I think I mentioned last week. They do basically improvise Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, or like a continuing journey type of thing. So me and a couple of other people all went up to LA to watch the finale together. And uh, it was brilliant. We had some snacks. Uh, we did some trivia uh, with Larry Lamachek was there and he was doing a little trivia night and then we sat down and we all watched the finale together and you know it was a really different experience it was a totally different experience than the whole rest of the series now I'm not refresh my memory Elijah I don't know if you've done this where you get together and watch with people I feel like we did you did something like this last year in New York after Trek <laughs> 
No, I was thinking of something before then. But it's it's funny how different it is because moments where in the finale where, you know, might have had a little chuckle or or you go, hmm, you know, were a, a whole room full of laughter and just, um, you know, clapping at the end. And it was, um, you know, everything was bigger. You were subject to a mob mentality, you were saying? Interesting. No, but it's because... I know. It's, everything's magnified. Normally, I watch Star Trek Discovery on my laptop, like in my room. So when I watch it with a group of people, then it's because there's stuff that happened, which I'm sure we'll talk about it on screen, where it comes on screen. And like, because I get it and I know that everybody else gets it, like I can laugh out loud because it's funny and it's a totally different experience. Yeah, it's it's the reason why movies are never going to die. People are still going to go to movies even though there's the internet now. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have been able to attend several group screenings of things. The most notably were the TNG Blu-ray season finale two-parter releases that were that were happening yeah. um, at Fathom Events and there was a theater in New York City. There were screenings throughout the United States, but I remember watching an episode of TNG, one of the the, the, the finales, and, you know, again, that atmosphere of people around you gives you a whole new perspective of, of what you're watching. And I remember one, I can't remember what scene it was, but I remember one scene, I had never laughed at it, not, not to myself, but everybody just starts roaring in laughter. I'm like, yeah, that is funny. <laughs> You know, it just, it, it's its such a different experience. And I know I've said this before when talking about those events is that if you're in an area that has an event like that, you have to go. You have yeah. to go if you can. And if there isn't, put one together. Absolutely. You know, it, it, whether it's at a at a, a, a local theater, a church basement, a, a YMCA, you know, find out what it might cost. Maybe the place will give it to you for free. And try to get a group of people together to watch it, to watch something like this, something that you love, like Star Trek, because it gives you a whole new perspective. And it was nice, um, you know, the time of year was really good because we're about as far away from STLV as you can possibly get. So it was nice to kind of meet up with, you know, Trek people. Of course, it's exciting to me because I've just moved out here, so I'm trying to meet new people, and that was a really great opportunity to do that. But you know, just in general, it's uh, it's wonderful to to know that there are people around who love Trek as much as I do, and it was just a hundred percent worth making the journey up there for that. So this is actually a really good time for a community question. How did you watch the Discovery finale? Were there snacks involved, friends, drinks? Did you go anywhere special? Or was it, you know, in your pajamas, in your slippers, in your bedroom? Let us know in the comments for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO354. Or you can catch us on social media at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast or on Twitter at PriorityOnePod. Our friend and fellow Roddenberry podcaster Larry Nemechek has uncovered a very interesting conceptual pitch for Star Trek The Next Generation. From John S. Pike to Gene Roddenberry. Dated September 12, 1986, the pitch features none other than the USS Odyssey, a vessel used for fifth-year cadet cruises. The Odyssey is crewed by a green but capable captain, a full-blooded Vulcan XO a beautiful helmsman, a weapons officer, an experienced doctor, inexperienced in space travel, a whiz Jamaican engineer with a penchant for storytelling, a Klingon attache, and ghosts in the computer. From the document found on the Trek Files Facebook page, quote, 
the USS Odyssey is assigned the task of voyaging to the far reaches of the galaxy, demonstrating by the diverse makeup of its officers and crew, and by the heretofore unheard of coalition of Federation and Klingon representatives, that all beings, however divergent, can learn to coexist. End quote. Again, for more information about this and to check out the latest addition to the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com and check out Trek Files. And Captains, we know how generous you guys are in a pinch and a beloved Trek author through no fault of her own is going through kind of a tough time right now. If any of you are familiar with the Rehansu novels or Spock's World, Diane Duane, her husband, I think his name is Peter, are having a little bit of a financial crisis right now, and the next six weeks are kind of crucial for them, they might lose their house. So if any of you are interested, we'll put the link to Diane's Twitter feed, and if you can go to her website and purchase some of her eBooks, those go directly to her account and can help her out of this crisis in a timely manner. So uh, we, and we know everybody in Trek uh, wants to take care of those people that have told us all these great stories throughout the years. So if you can spare a buck or two and get some fun books in the process, she sure would appreciate some help right now. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Imagine logging into Star Trek Online exchange to see if that cool new item is on the market, suddenly you realize all your EC is gone. Where's your loot in your inventory? Why is my character naked? Well, it seems as though your account may have been hacked. Fortunately, if you use Perfect World's game client Arc, you can enable two-factor authentication. This means that major changes to your account will require not only a password, but a special PIN sent to you via text or email, etc. The service is offered at no additional cost to you, so check out the steps on how to enable two-factor authentication by visiting the official blog post at StarTrekOnline.com. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Elijah, have you ever used two-factor authentication? I use it for everything, and I have to do it quite a bit for work. Everything is two-factor authentication. Yeah, I resisted for a long time because it was a humongous pain in the rear end, um, always having to have something else nearby to authenticate. But um, it's the way of the future, and uh, I think it's probably something that I will go and turn on immediately because I was not even aware until you told me that uh, this was available on Arc. So. Well, the other thing, too, is that now most two-factor authentication is mobile phone and smartphone friendly. So. Yeah. Before, it was a bit of a you know a hassle to have to log into your email and get a PIN or whatnot. Uh, now, at the very least, you know most of us have our cell phones handy and next to us, um, which makes it easier to secure your accounts. Do it yeah. for everything. Do it for Google, not just not just Star Trek Online, but do it for as many services that you have private and important information on. Yeah, agreed. Well, holy ship, Captains. This week, a new escort bundle was released, including a total of nine pilot escort ships. Three for each faction, Federation, Klingon, and Romulan, and Class, Tactical, Science, and Engineering. However, these are visually styled based off Andorian, Lethian, and Duan ship designs. Now, there's a lot to cover, but because each group of three ships per class share the stats across the factions, we'll break them down according to their class. That's tactical, science, or engineering, as I mentioned before. So for starters, when trying to compare these ships to available ones already in the game, the closest would be the pilot ship Mega Bundle that was released back in May of 2015. However, there are some key differences. 
For starters, one blaring difference between this new bundle and the 2015 bundle is that you're sacrificing a Lieutenant Bridge Officer slot in order to gain two Lieutenant Universal seats. Whereas the previous bundle had only one Universal seat and no Ensigns. Additionally, the turn rate is slightly slower on these new ships, 16 versus 2015's 20. However, these new ships are equipped with an experimental weapon slot that comes equipped with the Alliance Hyper Cannon, and it can be swapped for any other experimental weapon. So there are certainly some immediate trade-offs for the sake of balance between the two Mega Bundles. Now digging a little deeper, these ships come with an ability called Pilot Maneuvers. It's essentially a thruster burst that moves your ship right, left, forward, or back to get you out of the way quickly, while also granting very brief damage immunity. The engineering variants of course have consoles and bridge officer seatings that cater more towards engineering captains. Additionally, the universal console that comes equipped is the wing torpedo platform which will orbit your ship and fire at your targets. The neat thing is that it also reacts to your torpedo spread or high yield abilities by firing the spread one or high yield one, respectively. The Starship Mastery trait is called Painful Memories that causes a damage over time effect and will slow your enemies by minus 50% flight speed when activating any engineering bridge officer power. The science variants, of course, have consoles and bridge officer seats that cater more towards science. This group of ships comes equipped with the universal console Gateway Trap Spawner that traps enemies and teleports them, all while slowing them and causing kinetic damage. Think gravity well, but more wormhole-like. Now, speaking of gravity well, the Starship Mastery trait you earn is Improved Gravity Well, which increases the duration of your gravity well ability from 20 to 40 seconds reduces the recharge time of the ability by 20 seconds, and the primary target of the gravity well takes an extra hit of minus 20 damage resistance for 40 seconds. I'm not going to lie, it makes me want to get back in my uh, advanced escort and uh, use gravity well and torpedoes. You know, I never flew a ship like that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. I, I fly around in circles. I would love to team up with you and watch you do that, Elijah. The tactical variant, of course has consoles and bridge officer seats that cater more towards tactical captains. This group of ships comes equipped with the universal console Neurophasic Disruption Field, or what I'm calling the Brown Note device. Here's why. The description in the blog reads, quote, By injecting enemy subsystems with a specific blend of resonant frequencies, sentient beings can be briefly disabled via oversaturation of sensory stimuli. End quote. Or the enemy poops their pants in the middle of battle. Oh, man. Causing confuse for one second, electrical damage, and a 20% chance to disable for one second. The console also provides a passive boost to flight speed and resistance to slow effects. And why wouldn't it? I'd want to stay as far away from that ship as possible. <laughs> These tactical ships' master trait is Promise of Ferocity that provides a bonus damage buff once every few seconds as long as you're in combat. This is triggered by any tactical or pilot bridge officer. Well, there is definitely a lot to take in with nine new ships, Captains. So we encourage you to check out the blog posts that we'll have linked in our show notes. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some events that are on this weekend. For starters, this week's reward for replaying Scylla and Charybdis is a ground weapon, a specially designed mechleth created by House Martok. 
it can, quote, cause deep wounds, resulting in additional damage over a short duration, end quote. It hurts your feelings. God. A few sales are also happening this weekend that you might want to take advantage of. For starters, there's a bonus on Zen orders. There's also 20% off packs like the Temporal Special Agent, Delta Rising, and Legacy of Romulus packs. And there's 20% off ships, ship bundles, upgrade tokens, dry dock, and fleet modules. Interestingly enough, this does include the new Mega Bundle as well. These sales end on Tuesday, February 20th, so act fast if you've been eyeing up some new ships. If you're in need of some marks to get that reputation or fleet gear, take advantage of a marks weekend ending on Monday, February 19th. You'll get 50% bonuses off normal marks, and this bonus is available for all content that rewards them, including the three new reputations that came to console with Agents of Yesterday. See, I am so very overdue for marks. I need to go through, se- you know, f- not not several, but a few reputation systems. But nobody's playing the, the cues, and I'm having a really hard time. And I really, really would like for a remedy to that. Because I would really like to get into the game more often, but I find myself not being able to do the things that I want to do because nobody's playing them anymore. You're stuck in the past is what you're saying. I am. I'm stuck in the past, but... Well, let's, Whatever. Uh, it, it shouldn't matter. It really shouldn't matter. Let's team up and we'll, we'll grab some people and we'll do it together. Sounds good. Yeah. Actually, Kenna, that brings up a really good point because we actually are on Discord. Priority One does have a Discord server and we'll be sure to include links to that in our show notes if you're interested in joining and perhaps gaming with us. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online news. Now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Discovery in On Screen. On Screen. Episode 15 of Star Trek Discovery is Will You Take My Hand? The Discovery has a plan, but the intel on Kronos is nearly a century old. The team needs a more precise location for transport, so Giorgio takes to questioning their Klingon prisoner, Laurel. Mir Philippa attempts to coax the uncooperative Klingon with a physical interrogation, but to no avail. A shaken, angry Burnham offers an alternative. Enter Ash Tyler. Studying the hollow map of the planet Kronos, he finds the perfect place, an ancient sacrificial outpost formerly used to honor Molor, currently used as an Orion embassy. Unfortunately, the exact location of the entrance is hidden by shielding, so some legwork is required. With the destination chosen, Giorgio assembles her team, Burnham, Tyler, and Tilly, who is tasked with guarding the drone. The Discovery jumps, with Stamets' expert precision, to its destination, the cavernous underbelly of the enemy planet. In disguise as arms dealers, the quartet beam to the Orion Embassy. It's the kind of place that cooks and serves space whale, and the four blend in with remarkable ease. Well, three of the four, anyway. Giorgio sets her sights on a seedy Orion bar, and the four split into pairs to gather intel. Burnham and Tyler head off to a game of Tsang while Giorgio leaves Tilly for a pair of Orions and some private time. The hunt for the entrance is on. Tyler comes up empty at the game but recognizes followers of Molor by their drinking habit and strikes gold. Tilly finds herself with Clint Howard, aka an aging Orion, smoking volcanic vapor and very high. Wait, volcanic vapor? Turns out those volcanoes aren't dormant, and Tilly isn't carrying a drone, but a hydrobomb. 
Starfleet and Mirror Giorgio plan to eradicate Kronos. Unfortunately, Giorgio persuades her two Orion friends to share the location of the Molor Shrine entrance, and she's got the jump on our heroes. After a debate with Admiral Cornwell about principles and a showing of solidarity by the Discovery Bridge crew, a new new plan is enacted. Burnham beams down to bargain with Mira Giorgio. Michael offers Philip a freedom in exchange for the detonator. Giorgio agrees after some convincing and recodes the bioprint to Laurel, who will use it as leverage to merge the separated Klingon houses. The war is over and the Federation is saved. Tyler decides to go with Laurel. It is where he can be good for both sides. The rest of the Discovery crew, including the deceased Dr. Culber and the Kelpian Saru, are awarded the Medal of Honor. Ensign Tilly is admitted into the Starfleet Command training program, and Michael Burnham is expunged of the charges of mutiny and reinstated as a Starfleet commander. The only matter remaining is that of the Discovery's captain. The ship sets off from Earth to Vulcan under acting Captain Saru to rendezvous with the unnamed Addition when they receive a distress call. There is difficulty in determining its source, but it slowly becomes more clear. One, seven. The call is coming from Captain Christopher Pike. It's the Enterprise. The end. I'm sorry, go on. So this episode was another loaded one, right? This one was another one that that just had so much going on because of the fact that we had to tie up loose ends in the event that a second season was not going to be picked up, right? This needed to end on a button, and it ended on a button. Uh, And we'll get into our review of that button (laughs) in just a moment. But before we go into that, I do want to call out just a few of those touchstoning moments, things that that we may have noticed from from previous incarnations of Star Trek. Go ahead. Number one, Mm -hmm. Clint Howard. Clint Howard. That's right. Clint Howard. That is number one. When he came on the screen, I went, yes! That's uh, 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 yeah, Tranya man. Tranya boy is back. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with who Clint Howard is, he's Ron Howard's brother and has been in now a bunch four iterations of Star Trek. He was in Deep Space Nine. He was in Enterprise. He's been a Ferengi. He's been a human. And he's been a, a weird space baby that, that drinks a screwdriver called Tranya. 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> he was Baylock. He was Baylock. He was Baylock. That's true. Yeah. First Federation representative Baylock. Thank you very much. And now he's an old, sketchy Orion guy getting high on volcanic vapes, yo. <laughs> that was excellent. This was a moment that when I was sitting in a room full of, like, hardcore Trek nerds, there was whooping going on. I mean, it was whooping and yeah, that was... clapping, and it was just like, oh, my God, I love it. That one thing, I have words about this episode, but that was pitch perfect. Clint Howard in this one was pitch perfect. On yeah, this. absolutely. Now, in an interview with Inverse, links, of course, will be in the show notes, they report that he's actually a friend of Akiva Goldsmith, Clint Howard. And so they did their best to try to, they created yeah. this role for him for this episode. Oh, yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. It was absolutely perfect. But that is not the all the Easter eggs. This whole scene where they were on the surface of Kronos was just like packed with Easter eggs. If you were a Star Trek fan, blink and you'll miss it. There were a million of them. It was it was amazing. Yes, absolutely. First of all, speaking of that Orion planet, I am pleasantly surprised how 
familiar the planet looked. And the reason being is the amount of detail that Star Trek Online put into fleshing out Kronos. Mm, yeah. When they were on that planet, I was like, oh man, I'm on an away mission in Star Trek Online. I mean, of course, <laughs> much darker and obviously in a set design. But so kudos to the Star Trek environment team for bringing to life an area like Kronos because it obviously holds up to cinema. Yeah. Look, guys, I'm just going to... I want to talk about the elephant in the room. What's up with the Klingon and the double streams? I just... I'm really confused. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. That was another I... moment where it was like there was whoops of laughter. But we knew this. But we knew this because remember, do you remember in, God, what, what episode was it when we first meet Ash Tyler? Is it, it was the one where we first meet Ash Tyler where somebody says to him, you don't have the equipment. Was Yeah, Lorca. Yeah. And the implication there, obviously, is that, I mean, we know Klingons have redundant internal organs. I didn't know it was that redundant. Evidently, it's, they've got redundant external organs as well. Go, Deanna Troy. I really, this is another one of those times when I just really did not need this. That was that was a completely ah. unnecessary and gratuitous oh, it thing. was unnecessary. It was, ha no. Listen, half of this episode was unnecessary, but... That is true, but... I just didn't need this. All right. Did you guys notice the trill on the tattoo parlor? Yeah, I thought it was a human at first, and then I saw the spots and went, oh, okay. Yeah, with the awesome, cool living tattoo, and where can I get one? Right, right, right. That was epic. That was epic. All right, what other Easter eggs? And obviously the big finale Easter egg, which we'll get to in a second, but yeah. were there any other little things sprinkled? Yeah, fried seti eels on the street. Mm, that was nice. Seti eels, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That whole set piece was one giant you know, Easter egg hunt, essentially. Mm -hmm. The space whale meat, that was, uh, you know, sort of an Easter egg, but it was like an internal discovery Easter egg. Somebody saw a, uh, the Romulan Empire symbol probably on the tattoo parlor somewhere, so, you know, the Romulans and the Klingons are exchanging cultures there a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just yep. an Easter egg hunt that entire time on Kronos. Yeah. And then lastly, and certainly not least, is at the very end, the final scene, the last frame is the Discovery and Enterprise nose-to-nose -nose in space, where yeah. everybody everywhere lost their collective minds. Yeah, yeah. in one extreme yeah. or the other, yeah. I will I say. say. Everyone yeah. has an opinion. Uh, in one yeah. extreme uh, or the other, yes. I yes. It was cool. It made me all tingly. I just kind of went, oh, they did that for the fans. It was, it, almost went, it was almost a little bit cheesy. I don't... I don't really like the redesign. I don't. I. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's fine. It's fine. I just. I. 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 It's fine. <laughs> I'm pleased with how restrained they were in their redesign or update to the Constitution class. It was dead. <laughs> could have I mean, been worse. It, it was. You have. It could have been JJ. No, it's true. It could have been the thing we saw on the screen in the Mirror Universe. Yeah. Right. That's true. Could have been the thing we saw on the screen in the Mirror Universe. Yeah. So I would have liked to see it with an updated skin and maybe some more detail. It really looked different to me. I was disappointed because I was like, oh, my God, it's the Enterprise. And I was like, but what is that? It's not really the Enterprise after all. <laughs> so I, it was just a little bit of it. It just took the little bit of air out of my big, excited bubble at the end. That's all. For those of you that may not be fully familiar with the lore and what might be happening, Again, we are 10 years in the past. Mm -hmm. In its present state, the Enterprise is being captained by Christopher Pike with Una, who was played by Major Roddenberry in The Menagerie, the Star Trek pilot, the original, the original, original, original pilot, pilot that then got remade into 
the cage. That's your partner. Yeah. Or the other way around. It was the cage and then it made it into the menagerie or whatever. Right, yeah. Spock is not the first officer, but instead a science officer aboard the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for something to do or to feed that discovery void as we wait for season two, especially now that we've been teased what season two might entail, which is a relationship between Burnham and Spock, I would recommend picking up David Mack's Desperate Hours and reading that book because it goes into that relationship between the two of them. Which also makes me think that season two might start with like one or two episodes of that. It'd be interesting. Additionally, the story that Burnham delivers about her childhood and about the Klingon destruction of the outpost and the death of her family, mm -hmm. that is also covered in Desperate Hours. This is the first book that David Mack released for Star Trek Discovery. Mm -hmm. So there are connections between Discovery and Desperate Hours that were in Desperate Hours that were on the show. Mm -hmm. They're not so far apart. Yeah. And I think that's by design. It is by design. Yeah. No, it's absolutely. I'm pretty sure David Mack had access yeah. to certain things on Star Trek Discovery. So if you want to get a feel for what that relationship is between Burnham and Spock, I would recommend reading David Mack's Desperate Hours. I know we all have very strong feelings about Discovery and about the season finale, and so I want mm -hmm. to stay focused on this particular episode. Mm -hmm. We should have a season overview next week. So for me, and I've said this before, is that Laurel was a Lady Macbeth, and she deserved so much more than what she was given at the end of this arc. They stuck her in a cell until they needed an out, and then they had an out, and it was kind of... Literally a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah. I won't say I was disappointed. I mean, it was good. I think, oh, I you know, that's a good place for the character to end up. It's a good place for us to end up. I mean, I think the whole action of Burnham going down getting the detonator and choosing to then give it to Laurel as a means to unite the Klingon Empire. I think that is like so quintessentially Star Trek. What, blackmailing an entire species to get them to unite it under a political no, banner? No, 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 because she was absolutely right. The only thing that was going to unite Klingons was a show of force, was somebody forcing them to get together. I agree with that. I think that they did a good job. I mean, there's a little bit of a plot hole, like, as soon as she goes, hey, guys, they've got a bomb under Kronos, like, everybody's going to be like, let's go and just dismantle the bomb. Like, how long is that going to really work for, right? <laughs> so there's a bit of a, yeah. there's a bit of a plot, a plot, like, but it's in a really secret place. Yeah, it's yeah. really, you'll never, never find, find it, it, except you totally will. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, so that was a little bit of a stretch for me. But that whole idea of winning the war by having the Klingons effectively save themselves, that's such a Starfleet, Star Trek message. It was perfect. Yes, I completely agree. My problem is that that didn't take longer to do. They did not take the time to tell that story. Mm -hmm. First of all, Mary Chifo was great as Laurel and really brought that character to life. As much as she could as have. As much as she could as have. As much as she could have. She deserved to have been a major plot point, yeah. a major plot point to the end of the Klingon War. And here it was, here's a pad. Please do the right thing. Bye. And yes, I completely agree. This is, that was essentially this, this, loose diplomatic form of ending the war, I think needed to have been fleshed out. And Laurel needed to have been given 
more opportunity to explore the consequences and what she's going to do and how is she going to unite the Klingon war, not just a random beam down and here's a bomb. I could push this button if I wanted to, but I'm not. I'm going to give it to you. It's just very rushed and I think just did the character an injustice. Yes, I agree. Uh, while we're talking about Lorel and her, well, what will be her journey after Discovery is finished, I also wanted to talk about Ash Tyler because I think I was kind of... I was kind of harsh on his character last episode because I was like, I don't believe him. I'm still kind of convinced he's going to end up being dodgy or some way. I loved what they did with his character in this episode. I thought that it was a really great send-off for him. I thought it was absolutely perfect for him to go off with Laurel. And I loved the scene where he and Burnham were paired off and he joins in on that gambling game and he sits there and he watches them and he makes the decision I'm going to be that Klingon guy now. I'm going to use that. I'm going to work it. And he goes and he just gets right in there and he's talking Klingon and he's pushing those guys around. You know, I thought this will be, if there's going to be a redemption of Ash Tyler, this will be it, is him finding the balance between Voke and Ash. I still kind of, I have my reserves about how he got there, but I loved the way that played out that he could be confident and secure and then also you know a Burnham's reaction to that I thought was authentic and I loved the fact that he made the decision to leave and she had the opportunity to say goodbye to him. I was not a fan mostly because he did all those things and it turned out all he needed to do was watch the guys outside of the table. Oh hey wait a minute I know those guys those guys are actually ones connected to the temple we need to go to I didn't have to do this whole gambling and drinking <laughs> thing in the first place. Ah, go figure. Well all right let's go talk to him. Kenna, as you were talking about that balance and finding out where he is, I might be stretching here, but for whatever reason, I thought to myself, what about people who have to assimilate or are raised in two cultures, two or more cultures? Mm -hmm. You know, I think about myself, for instance, right? There's almost a Cuban and then there's the American. Yeah. And I'm more Cuban in one area and less Cuban in another, more American in another area. And like, I mean, his circumstance is very different. I wonder if that's a theme that they kind of wanted to address. A person of now two cultures. Yeah. Where do they fit? Yeah. And less about the PTSD. Yeah. I might be pulling at strings here and projecting, but it made me think of that as you were discussing it. Well, they're setting that up. You know, we talked about it in Trek It Out that Shazad Latif is confirmed to come back for uh, season two. And so I think we're not going to see the last of Ash Tyler. I still have my reservations on how we got here, but I think it was a good resolution for him. And we have the potential for some really interesting storytelling if what we're going to see next season is more of how they actually bring the Klingon Empire together. Let's talk about Michael Burnham's journey. So mm. Michael Burnham's journey has now come to an end or is now just beginning, yeah. one could argue. You know, I think it's kind of inspiring that the message that we get at the end of the season is that if your father is the Vulcan ambassador, you can get a pardon for mutiny and killing 8,000 people. I was inspired by that. I thought that was great. I really enjoyed that. Really thought that was sparkling. No, Ooh. now listen no because that's deep <laughs> no it was no it was what i said was going to happen last week which they set it up being she's going to be the mutineer again 
and going to have to uphold the yeah, ideal we totally values of Star yeah. Trek. I absolutely agreed with you that was going to happen. Yep, and the reason she got pardoned for her mutiny was basically in recognition of the fact that she stood up to the Federation and held up the Federation's ideals mm, Yes, and found a way to make yes. it work. Yes, because the Federation also stands for blackmailing regime change and disobeying the orders of your superior officer and admiral from far away in space, who also kept her job, by the way. Way, after coming up with this whole genocidal blowing up a platinum plan. That wasn't her. No, let's make... I, this, You're in uh, command, there's, there's, there's it's your plan. Kind of, there's been some confusion no, no, no. about no, this. No, I am not confused at all. Giorgio suggested the plan and Cordwell signed off on it. The genocide is her thing. She owns it. Period. End of story. It's not an Admiralty roundtable where they all agree. Hell no, it's her operation. Who'd they call when they wanted to change the plan and have a middle mutiny captain? Oh, yeah, but captain there's always captain. one person. There's always one, there's always uh-huh. one commanding... And she was it. That was her. It was just her know. op. This was her op, man. Because in the previous episode, they're all talking about reaching out to Starfleet Command, Starfleet Command, Starfleet Command. So it sounded to me that Cornwell wasn't the last person, that she was part of a round table of people who had to agree. And that my understanding was that Sarek goes and presents this plan to Starfleet Command, and Starfleet Command agrees, and Cornwell takes point. Yeah, that's what I understood. And which only makes it worse because the Federation Counselor, Starfleet Command, then signs off on the genocide. Burnham goes, "Yo, I'm not, I ain't cool with this no more." And everyone goes, "Captain, my captain," on the bridge, and then Cornwell's like, "Well, let me get back to you. I gotta like, you know, bring this back up to the to the, to the other people." And they're all like, "Yeah, that was a bad idea. We shouldn't do that." I don't understand how this is all working, maybe. I just, I, I, maybe I just don't understand. I'm just a old fucking. It's the dummy. magic of television, Tony. It is the magic of television. And tying off 86 plot points in less than 40 minutes. I, maybe that's all it is. I think you've hit the nail on the head. That We spent a lot of time, you know, zooming in on Space Whale and not enough time. Uh, Giorgio was only too eager to just be like, ah, yeah, sure, fine, uh, and get out of there. Uh, Laurel was like, Oh, I don't really want to. Well, I guess I'll lead the Klingon. But all of that stuff happened so fast. Um, there was some issues with pacing, and because they were trying to tie up all these things, I think you're absolutely right about that, Tony. For a longer discussion and a deeper deeper discussion of what we think about the show we encourage you to visit us over on patreon not only would you be supporting the show but you would be getting great content like a very detailed review of what we think of this episode and of course later on what we think of the season in its entirety but i do want to put something into perspective that i saw i think it was on the one of the star trek facebook groups I want to see if I can find it real quickly, but long story short, we have had 15 episodes of Discovery. Compare that to the 15th episode of every season of Star Trek, right? And how different the storytelling has been and how how much more expansive the character development has been versus the first 15 episodes of TOS, TNG, Voyager, Deep Space Nine. Right In either of those previous incarnations of Star Trek, how much do we really know about any of these characters? We're just going on an episode-to-episode journey with these people. I think that our hyper-analysis and our issues with this episode being so... we got to tie everything up so quickly is because we have indeed invested in some of these characters. Maybe not all, but some. Some of them are dead. And some of them are dead. Some of them who we really wanted to see fleshed out are now dead but it's that there were so many moments of excellent storytelling or plot points that deserved more 
we mentioned this last week. I don't know that it's the fault of the writers or the showrunners, but more a top-down issue where the franchise sometimes gets a little mishandled. And I think that they went into this thinking we may only have and get one season. Is this the part where I remind him when he wanted to focus on just this show and not the entire season? You should, you should. Thank you, thank you, Tony. <laughs> the biggest takeaway is that here we are, 15 episodes, and, and we've got quite a bit. And these performances are great. And, and that moment between Ash Tyler and Michael Burnham, I don't think disrespected what we were talking about last week, mm. right? Did it? No. No, right? It didn't disrespect it. They had their goodbyes, and she didn't say no, don't go. He didn't stay. They still said goodbye. And she stood her ground, and so did he. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, still hashtag silly for Tilly. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. She stole All the right. total so, show. Favorite, God, yeah, favorite, oh. uh, favorite moment, favorite moment for the episode is certainly, again, another another Tilly Wiseman. To tell you the truth, after they killed Lorca, she's really the only character I really care about now. The only one that, like, I really, I unequivocally always root for. I mean... I care about Detmer. Uh, I mean, we don't know her, though. We don't know anything about her, really. No, except that she, scenes, she steals every scene she's in. She does. She does, actually. She does a lot with just eyes. a couple seconds just of screen eyes. time. I will give you that. She does a lot with the few frames that she gets. Mm -hmm. But Tilly is the heart of the show. There's no way of it. Now, now that Lorca's dead, Tilly's the heart of the show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it kind of reminded me a little bit. That scene with Clint Howard kind of reminded me of the uh, Tranya, yeah. right? Like she No coincidence. No coincidence those two are together. So, I'm sorry. The bit where she's like, okay, first, I'm really high. <laughs> 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 it's just, I, it was just brilliant. The smartest thing they could do is make... Tilly, the main character of the show. I don't, I wouldn't go that far. I no, that. no, no. It's absolutely true. Number one, she's relatable. Number two, she's funny. Number three, you get the Starfleet Academy series that's always been sort of in the background, talked about. Like maybe we should do a Starfleet Academy show sometime. You get that, and you get the lower decks experience thing. Right. And Tilly in the command training program, she'll be all over the ship. There's excuses for her to be in engineering on the bridge, in the torpedo bay, in sick bay, in I mean, she can tie the entire ship together. Yeah. In a way that you never saw in the previous series where you're always on the bridge mm. and you just every once in a while go to medical bay or engineering or whatever make the show about tilly and have her follow around on the command training program and watch how all the ship works together and unfolds that would be the smartest thing they could do and last of course we cannot not talk about empress georgiou and how that was handled that final scene where she's like okay bye <laughs> To be fair, I wanted to watch it again and I didn't get a chance to because being in a group of people, I think the room that I was in was actually in quite a buoyant mood and I think I may personally have missed some of the more drawn out and sort of depressed moments, but I genuinely didn't understand the confrontation between Burnham and Giorgio because I don't think Giorgio cared. She did the, the way it was written, and then she just kind of left, and I was like, I don't understand what's happening right now. I just didn't understand. Uh, yeah. You just made the point that she didn't care, and I think that's it, is that I don't think she cared. I don't think that Terrans blow things up just to do it, just for the high of it, which is why she was willing to just make the trade. Yeah. She throws the freedom card at the get-out-of-jail, literally throws a get-out-of-jail-free card yeah. at Georgiou. And yeah, she had that reservation of, uh, you guys are idiots. You really should be doing this. But she doesn't care. She really doesn't care. She's not going to be the empress yeah, of anything. You're right. 
So she's like, you sure? So I can see why we didn't get some kind of like martial arts fight in that scene. Because in reality, Georgiou doesn't care. You know what? Screw you, Federation. You guys are going to have to learn the hard way. No skin off my shoulders. I've got my get out of jail free card. Peace out. I'm done. Yeah. She has a Federation get out of jail free card in the middle of the Klingon capital world where they're technically still at war. Right. Yeah. But yeah. And the only person she knows on the planet, she was beating the crap out of in a cell like 12 hours earlier. And that person just became Empress of the Klingon whatever. So she's not in a real great place. Yeah, but you also saw her beat the crap out of her. Yeah. Yeah, but now she has the Klingon army. Giorgio could totally take on the Klingon army single-handed, and she'd just kick their asses. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. As a character thing, or as a story thing, I'm glad she's free in the universe because they can bring her back. Yeah. As a character thing, as a story thing, I'm very pleased that she walked away unscathed. But it's just, like, logically, like, yeah, no problem. I'll just, you know, go upstairs and hang out with... Um, the tattoo artist. Tattoo guy, yeah, because I'm sure we're tight. We're going to be tight. Yeah, I first I was disappointed with that scene. Again, if, if this episode just felt anticlimactic. Yeah, a lot. But I could see why they played that in that particular aspect. All right, Captains. Well, that wraps up our penultimate analysis of Star Trek Discovery here on On Screen. Stay tuned next week for our season recap and review on episode 355 of Priority One, which we are likely to have some special guests on. For a deeper analysis, again, visit patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out how you can get all that juicy content. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 353 was actually community question free, but you all kept in touch. Thank you so much for your continued contact. From Priority One Podcast, Chiyo Yumiku says, Excellent show as always. Looking back on Season 1 of Discovery, I can say that for what they were trying to do, and as awesome as it was, it was a story arc that should have taken 20 to 24 episodes to tell properly. I mean, nine months between the Mirror Universe and getting back? A longer season would have allowed the writers to flesh that story out. Still, I look forward to Season 2, and Elijah rocking it on After Trek. Woohoo! Next time, do it as an Iconian. Yeah, I second that. <laughs> Turn up as an Iconian. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. It'd be yeah. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to get in touch with from the woman from Cosplay Melee. And yeah. you will take up three seats in the audience. But, <laughs> yes. And it's a small theater. It would not work. Yeah. I'd break something. Getting the little things to float above you is the, would be the tricky bit. But but thank you, Chiyu. Um, it, it's, <laughs> like I said last week, it was really it's really fun and been fun to see people kind of tweet a screen cap of of me on on the screen or something and it's just been it's it's it was fu it's really fun and, and and awesome so thank you guys thank you thank you for even recognizing me and it was really fun from star trek online tyler maxwell writes as cool as it would be to have original kirk and other characters preserved for posterity in cgi form possibly for inclusion in future trek movies and shows is that what folks really want i mean sure a background cameo every now and then probably isn't too bad Though, honestly, the Tarkin one in Rogue One kind of creeped me out. But beyond that, I can't help but feel like it cheapens the characters to have them keep reappearing in mint condition every time after an actor has aged up or even passed away. At some point, I think that folks just want to let some characters take their final bows and go. I can appreciate that. I completely agree with this point of view. It's, um, 
I think it speaks to our sort of general society anxiety over aging that we keep trying to like bring people back as younger. And I mean, it seems to be like a trend. I mean, it's happened a few times and I can kind of see it, you know, sometimes like you could argue that it has to do with the storytelling. So Star-Lord's dad and uh, the guy from Tron's dad and um, Grand Moff Tarkin, etc. I just, I just feel that um, I don't want to see younger versions of my Star Trek heroes. I want to let them have their lives, and I want them to grow older, and I want them to eventually pass on because that's the natural human progression of things. And I don't, I don't, I don't want them to go back and rehash all of that. Just, I, I want them to let it go. And when we first started talking about this stuff, we talked about some of these roles being like iconic, like a Shakespearean role. I mean, you don't get the same guy to play Othello over and over again. Different people take on that role and have their own interpretation of it. I think some of those characters are iconic enough that it's time to let that happen. Kirk, they've already done it. So, I mean, they, they should continue to do that, I think. From Priority One Podcast, Sean Newboy says, Very entertaining, everyone. Well done. Well, that wraps up episode 354 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, and Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But before we go, here's a reminder of our community question this week. How did you watch the season finale of Star Trek Discovery? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. Don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where we review the latest Star Trek Online and fleet news, as well as highlighting some of the amazing members in our fleet. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash priority one. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Now with a brand new format, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And our latest endeavor, Heroes Rise, brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Ben Churchill, and Skiffy, with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Additionally, thanks to associate producer Jake Morgan, who assists us with the weekly production of the show. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producers, Navy Boats Lou, 
and Jim DeVico. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. And just when you thought Priority One couldn't link Star Trek to virtually anything, <laughs> you were proved wrong. Here we have Crayfish. Yeah, Crayfish. According to the article, the updated theme was originally recorded on composer uh, Jeff Russo's Give me a pause. Cellophane. Give me a pause on according again. Again, just um, periods are periods and, and commas are your friend, Tony. <laughs> your friend. The clock and, is and against us. They're the, the friend. The clock is against us. We have to the, record an extra show. The, and you know. You know what else? You know what else is is whose friends those are? The audio teams. They're the audio teams' friends. <laughs> they are. I told you I'd re-record that bit. You are in trouble with. But you told me no. <laughs> According to the article, the updated theme was originally recorded on composer Jeff Russo's cell phone and forwarded to executive Can't. producer Alex Kurtman. You do it again. You try that like a like a like an adult, like a normal, like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> like an adult. I don't know that he knows what that means. Visit podcasts.roddenberry.com and check out Trek Files. Dude, Trek out the Trek Files. Come on. Oh, I, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> well, we re-recorded it's practically it's the fine. entire it's fine. segment it's fine. twice. It's fine. All we we need to done. keep an eye on our time at the moment. Oh, Tony Sauer that I made him re-record. Like, like 16 times. Well, holy ship, captains! This week, a new uh, escort. Give me one. Give me a stronger P. <laughs> is your P not strong enough, Elijah? P is not strong enough. I think you should see a doctor about that. You know what it is? Is that I have two streams, and so the pressure <laughs> isn't. Are we doing intros anymore? Shall I just go into the okay? okay. <clears throat> let's let's not let's not just go. <laughs> I don't want my feelings hurt again. <laughs> you got your fingers burned last time. He did. He really did. That's how the tears got mixed in on the sweater with the bourbon and the drama. <laughs> okay. Stop making me laugh. This is serious and there's serious lots of words. Business. There's Stop making me laugh. There's, there's words in here. Okay. Tyler comes up empty at the Tasang game, but... F it is a Tasang isn't it? Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You wrote this. <laughs> I, d I didn't actually. Oh. We keep saying that. Oh. And it's all Jake's it's fault. It's all Jake's fault. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Jing. Quit, saying, pay, Jing. quit, paying, Jake. Yeah, quit, quit paying, paying attention, yeah. Jake. Yeah. Quit putting in details. Oops. Final scene.
The last frame is the USS Enterprise. Wait, Jesus. Let me let me try that again. Is the sorry the one? Do you even watch the show, Elijah? Cannot. Don't you dare. Podcast. Roddenberry. Com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.